This is Patrick J. here in Pittsburgh, and Andy G. in Minneapolis. This is episode, I don't know what episode it is, of the Punch Drunk Podcast. It's been a long time. It's uh, January 21st, 2017. We have a new president, a new coach since last time I think we did a podcast. It's been that long. So there's a lot to talk about. And um, and so, Andy, what do you think of, uh, now that we're at the midseason, basically, of the Timberwolves? And uh, what, are, what are, I think, the big takeaways that are interesting to you from kind of what we know so far? And, and I've got a few of my own, but you can, can take it away first. Sure. Um, first of all, I don't, yeah, I don't remember when we last did one of these podcasts, if it was, I, we must've done one after they hired Tibbs, but I'm pretty sure we haven't done one since Tibbs is actually, uh, uh, doing his thing on the sidelines, um, standing up and, and barking out orders and swearing at the refs and swearing at his own players quite a bit. So we probably haven't podcasted since we've experienced the full, full Tibbs, Tibbs going full Tibbs, but Mid-season takeaways, uh, obviously there's some disappointment in the record. Everybody, not everybody, most everybody thought the Timberwolves would be kind of like a 500 team this year, if not 500, you know, close to 500. And as things stand right now, 43 games in, they're 15 and 28, 13 games under 500. So from a pure, simple results perspective, there's obviously some disappointment. They have been playing better as of late. Some of that might have been due to Brandon Rush's uh, injury replacement for Levine for a little bit. Some of it is probably due to just steady progress. But I think frustration has been a bit of a, uh, a theme of this season to date um, for a couple different things. But, you know, you've still got the, the big three playing, playing well offensively. Uh, Levine's been a great shooter. That's been a nice thing this year is how amazing of a and prolific of a three-point shooter he's been um and carl towns is starting to play like the player we hope to see in year two and andrew wiggins continues to get 20 plus points despite the fact that his he now has two teammates who also do the same thing so he manages to get his offensive production in the context of an improving offensive scheme so that's nice too but um yeah the wins haven't haven't really come. How about you? Do you have any sort of specific mid-season thoughts? Yeah, uh, I mean, similar to the the preseason thoughts, I think. But I I didn't understand at the time how they would the Wolves' youth would. You know, I think that's that's still a prevailing theme, and it's it's nothing new. I mean, they're still as young as they were uh, to start the season, uh, and as talented, I think, and a lot more disappointing than than we expected. And so <clears throat> the I think the, the the learning curve has been a lot higher than than we expected, and and we thought that Tibbs would come in and you know be able to I think teach a lot faster, or at least the the, the uptake on whatever t- you know Tibbs's program uh, would be a lot faster than it's been, and you know, I think we're seeing signs of, of progress, but yeah the you know the disappointment theme I think has really been a, a big buzz kill aside from the couple of you know mini winning streaks that we've been able to eke out. I mean, the, the, the thing that is really interesting to me is how weirdly close we are to being a potential eighth seed in the playoffs. Uh, while, you know, people are already, you know, including us are already looking at draft boards, the, you know, the usual sites that we've been looking at every year since, uh, you and I started 
you know, sending emails back and forth about the, the Wolves' perpetual you know, lottery prospects in about 2007. Uh, you know, so, um, so, yeah, so whether the, the Wolves are a lottery team, you know, a, play, a playoff team, I, you know, I think no one really thinks they should be a playoff team, but they could be one. And, you know, or are they just a, in a developmental stage where whatever happens, happens? I, I think it's kind of the third, but, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau, for as much as he, he barks on the sidelines, is... I think you know, pretty smart about how he handles press conferences, post game interviews, and so on, and you know, you know, keeping a poker face for the most part about strategy, intentions, and you know, kind of end state goals at least for this year. And maybe it's because he doesn't really want to set any uh, without really knowing what he's you know going to be able to deliver. Yeah, it's been kind of a, a, sh- a shock, I think, to most people how patient Tibbs has been with his uh, actions. Uh, maybe that's the wrong way of putting it. He's not patient at all in terms of his demeanor during games, and I'm guessing practices. He's extremely intense and demanding and wants, you know, probably is the opposite of patient, but he's patient in the big picture thing. Like, I guess with, like, his – when he's wearing his president of basketball hat, he's been pretty patient in terms of, you know, we're going to play the young guys. They're going to play tons of minutes. It's going to be repetition, repetition, repetition. Even if they don't play well, that just means they need even more minutes because they need more practice and repetition and repetition and repetition. And you have, like, Levine leading the NBA in minutes. At least he has at different points. I think he is right now. And Wiggins is, like, top five. And Cat's, like, top 15. So that has been a surprise to me. A big, a big thing I thought coming into the year was, Tibbs is going to hate Zach Levine's defense so bad uh, that he's not going to play him more than, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game. And instead, Levine happens to be the guy who plays the most. And perhaps that's because he needs the the defensive practice the most. It's kind of a there's sort of a logic to it. Um, I'm not sure that that's what Tibbs is thinking, but he said some things that lead us to that conclusion. And it's the most generous interpretation of what he's done, because if it's if this is actually him trying to win as much as possible, then it says some bad things about his judgment. But I don't think I really don't think that's it. And then the only other thing I'd add is I was naive about the immediacy of the turnaround, and I think I I sort of was affected by Rick Adelman's hire because they went from being so bad to being pretty damn good with Adelman, and that was a weird season because they had an abbreviated training camp with the lockout. And I think some of the teams around the league probably weren't very prepared. And Adelman sort of knew how to sort of put together a workable game plan. And it was pretty simple. And Rubio was this new thing no one knew was coming. And I think that might have been a little bit of a distorted – it kind of distorted my perception of how much coaches can make an immediate impact when you have the same players. I think the coaches definitely matter. And the Wolves, I I still maintain they have one of the best coaches now. But – I was a little naive in thinking that Tibbs was going to come in and everything would just be solved. I thought this guy was going to make our defense like top 10 right away, however he wanted to do it. And I'm looking now, they're 23rd in defense, which is actually an improving number. They're getting better on defense, but 23rd is obviously not good. It's you know closer to 30 than number one. So uh, those are my two things. I'm surprised at how patient Tibbs has been with his approach through over half a season, and I am um, I, I'm realizing that I was a little naive in terms of what a coach can do to a, the same set of players in a short amount yeah, of time. Yeah, same here. I mean, uh, I agree with all, you know, everything that you said about Zach Levine, and I would just you know take that and it's not really raising it, but add uh, the same thing about 
uh, Shabazz Muhammad. I mean, Shabazz hasn't played as much or had the same kind of leash as Levine, and, and no one expected him to. But neither came in as a obviously like a Tibbs guy, right? They're the only person who really came in as a Tibbs guy this year, aside from the the free agents who were, you know, margin where you know were kind of low cost, um, you know, acquisitions, not expected to do uh, to play a huge role. Uh, it was Chris Dunn, and and so Chris Dunn has you know, has gotten quite a lot of playing time, but you know I thought Shabazz would um, would kind of flounder and might you know he still may end up getting traded. And there's there are rumors that we're going to talk about with uh, trades that he might be packaged with Ricky Rubio and a deal. But um, but you know Tibbs has uh, you know has has played both of these guys a lot and shown some trust in them that he hasn't in. Some other guys like Brandon Rush that I, I would expect to play more if you were in sort of this win now at it or this win now mindset. So I'm, I'm glad to see actually these guys getting getting run as you know as, as kind of long and hard as they have been because I think that they need the the experience and development. Um, you know, injuries are always a concern, but at this point, you know, holding these guys back, I think, with, with especially with the lack of depth that is on the roster right now, would would be pretty pointless. Yeah. I go back and forth in terms of uh, whether I think Brandon Rush should be like the starting three next to Wiggins at the two and have Levine come off the bench. I think that there's value in winning, obviously. I think it's good for morale. I think it's good to build positive habits. But I also sort of think that the most ambitious way to approach this team's development is the way Tibbs is doing it. In other words, we have Levine, we have Wiggins, we have Towns, and they need to learn how to win together. And that seems to be kind of what Tibbs is trying to work toward, which that's kind of not short. You know, you throw Brandon Rush in there, you you give Wiggins a little bit of help with def- defense and give Rubio a little help with a spot shooter that kind of knows how to sort of be in the right places. That's obviously good if you're trying to build your win total, but maybe it's more maybe the the direction this team is going. They really do need to just get these fundamentals hammered out before anything else happens. What do you yeah. think? Uh, do you think they're trying to make? Do you think playoffs are even something to think about? Um, I mean, I'm looking. Let's see. What are they? I could probably pull it up. What their standing is right now. Uh, yes, so I think they're three back of Denver for the eighth seed, 22 back to overall. Denver's 19 back of of Golden State. Yep, you're right. So and so, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 not inconceivable that they could make the playoffs with a really bad record. And yeah. I, I I mean, it would be fun for fans. I think uh, it would be nice for the franchise. They'd make a little bit more money, and um, all that would be nice. I mean, we get just eviscerated in the first round in four, you know, four games by Golden State. So I, I don't think that would hurt the, you know, the whatever, you know, the psyche or development of, of you know, the young players. It might act, you know, they might learn something from the experience. But <clears throat> I guess I'm, I'm uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to get much worse than we were when we were really, really bad starting out the season. I think they're starting to learn how to win some close games. I mean, they beat a depleted Clippers team the other night by three points, and and so I think we'll we'll probably you know see more of the same, if not um, better play the rest of the year, uh, you know, which I think will put us closer to the playoffs than uh, yeah, assuming kind of the rest of the league stays the same, than it will to the the lottery. But in a, a draft this deep with um, yeah, with, with the kind of remaining 
questions that we have or issues that we have with our, our overall team depth. Um, yeah, free agency is, you know, is a place where we're obviously hopefully we'll add uh, some some depth yeah. in the off season. But uh, looking at the the draft board, you know, I think that it, you know, in a normal year when it, in the Western Conference it would take a lot more wins than it looks like it will this year to get the number eight, eight seed. Uh, this would be maybe the, the, you know, one final year, uh, when I think I might actually prefer the wolves to you know, have some ping pong balls. Yeah. There's some pretty, it's a pretty deep group of, of draft prospects. We're going to kind of kick around a few of them at the end of this podcast, but I tend to agree. I don't really think it'll be that, it won't be that cool if the wolves make the eight seed with like 34, 35 wins to me that, I think a lot more about the win total than I do the playoff berth. Um, so I don't know for me, I guess if they, if they somehow rallied and got thick, finished the year off with really with a, a good record, you know, end with close to 40 wins, like 38, 39, 40 wins, meaning they were winning, you know, substantially more than half their games to close out the year. That would be kind of fun. But if it's, you know, if it's just this sort of race to, to, uh, or if the eight seed is just sort of like this, ridiculously big joke I, I don't really think it would be that cool to to get it in a historically bad year for the eight seed especially like you said facing curry clay draymond and durant in the first round would be sort of a pointless exercise i mean that team's going to go to the finals almost assuming they stay healthy they're going to go to the finals almost without a doubt and being the first victim sacrificial victim wouldn't be all that worthwhile of a process i don't think um but yeah, I mean, and like you said, there are some reasons to think it'd be kind of fun to break break the streak would be nice, and also to get the experience, I guess, would be kind of good. But I really don't care at this point. I care more about the win total. If they go out and earn it with with forty wins or thirty nine to forty one wins, that would be cool. Um, a, a big subject of the last week has been Ricky Rubio, and specifically a couple of different reports that have come out about possibly. Ricky Rubio being traded. The first one was Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo, the vertical. He reported on the 17th, which was what, a few, three, four days ago, four days ago maybe, um, that the Wolves are actively shopping Ricky Rubio. That was the word he used. He said they've attached him and multiple offers to Shabazz Muhammad. They've been seeking something of a quote unquote bridge guard. Put that in your lexicon. That's kind of <laughs> Uh, a player capable of starting in the short term, but who will ultimately settle into a backup role and give way to rookie Chris Dunn to become the long-term starter. Um, a lot of questions uh, come to mind after reading that, but let's just quick jump forward to yesterday's report. ESPN, Mark Stein, and Chris Haynes report. The Minnesota Timberwolves and Detroit Pistons have discussed a potential swap of point guards Ricky Rubio and Reggie Jackson. According to league sources, sources told ESPN that no deal appeared imminent Friday, but said the teams have engaged in dialogue this week on a potential multiplayer exchange that would be headlined by Rubio and Jackson. Deadline is February 23rd, so about a month out. Um, so let's just start with the general. Um, actively shopping Ricky Rubio for a bridge guard. What do you think of that idea? Uh, first, I want to know what, exactly what a bridge guard is. <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, I've got uh, videos auto playing on my uh, ESPN Reggie Jackson profile page, for, <laughs> where, which I which I just opened up so I could could uh, could give you some 
uh, accurate statistics as of now. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that it's, um, I mean, it's just a bad idea at this point. I think Ricky Rubio uh, is finally starting to, to play really well after just an abysmal start to the season. Um, for a, a post that we did together for a Wolf Among Wolves uh, first quarter report cards, essentially we assign letter grades and give some commentary about why we thought a player performed it about that, you know, whether you know, A to F on, uh, on that scale relative to expectations starting the season. I think that Ricky gave uh, got a, a much lower grade than he's maybe ever gotten in his basketball career when he's been healthy. I think it was a D plus and, um, and neither of us wanted to give him that grade. We're both, you know, you know to put our you know, cards out there. Uh, I think both pretty big Ricky fans. Um, so no one comes at this without bias, but, um, but he's been playing really well. Uh, it, so before he was uh, apparently hurt in the second half with a um, was it a, a hip contusion? Was that what they were saying? Uh, he didn't play in the second half of the Clippers game. So uh, excluding that, his previous five games, I think he had had uh, yeah he had over ten assists in, in all of them, and in four of the five he had um, at least fourteen assists. He had a seventeen assist game, which I think is the the franchise record. He's been getting to the line a lot and making his free throws. I mean, which is helping overcome some of his, you know, know, broader offensive struggles. And, and I mean, it doesn't change the fact that he can't make jump shots uh, reliably, but it, you know, it means that he's bringing a little bit more to the table, I think. And then um, when you look at the alternatives, I mean, the, the, you know, if if we were to trade Rubio, um, end up in, in Chris lands eventually is that is that the, the place where you want to go uh, or do you want to maybe um, like I live in, in Pittsburgh which is known as the city of bridges because uh, we have the most bridges in the world um, uh, Venice is uh, is second and I would go look for another bridge it might be a bridge to Tyus Jones uh, although I don't think so I think it's uh, I'd like to stay right where I am on this side of the bridge actually with Ricky Rubio who's who's still fairly young uh, you know, has kind of otherworldly passing skills, helps the team in a lot of ways. And, you know, consistently, aside from that early season stretch where um, I think he he had a, a terrible kind of plus-minus and really weird, um, bad um, offensive and defensive ratings, you know, we're seeing that kind of regress back to the, the mean, as it were, and, uh, and him kind of you know, showing his value in... Uh, in games where the Wolves are competitive or winning. So, I mean, I, I prefer not to do a deal, um, but I don't hate Reggie Jackson. That said, I mean, if, if that deal happened, um, I don't hate Reggie Jackson as much as, as a lot of people who are in the pro Rubio camp do. Um, I've always kind of liked his, his toughness, which I think might be, you know, to the extent that this rumor is, if there's anything to it is something that Thibodeau probably sees. It's probably a reason why, um, at least for a while, Stan Van Gundy has, has, given him a lot of minutes. I liked him when he was with the Thunder. I mean, he could be that bridge guard. I don't think he would be anything more than that, though. I mean, I see him as a guy who's a kind of fringe starter. He'd be a really, really nice backup point guard. I think you know, a lot of people say that. As to, I get thought Rubio is kind of a pejorative, yeah. uh, that, that Ricky would be a nice backup. Sure, he'd be a nice backup, but I think he's also a nice starter. I think Reggie Jackson could do that for a season or something. And, and if you needed to, you know, with one last piece for a year you know, to fill in a role um, because your team was going to be a contender. I could see 
making a deal like that. But I guess, you know, if, uh, presuming I understand the concept of, of uh, the bridge guard correctly, I, I think it just doesn't make any sense. And the, the, the contract issue, which you can get at you know, in your, yeah. your comments, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of part of it. Or like Reggie... I'll start with Reggie Jackson. The part I don't the parts I don't like are he doesn't seem like a good locker room guy. I believe he pretty much burned every bridge he had in Oklahoma City, um, and then he went to Detroit. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he have issues with Stan Van recently, like not going into the game or not shooting or some some kind of drama thing? Um, could be wrong on that, but I don't think I am. Um, so the idea that and the along with those issues, he is under contract for three more years after this one, earning $16 million, $17 million, and then $18 million. So you're not really bringing in a bridge guard there. You're bringing in a guy with, you know, $50 million over the next three years. So that, to me, that's your starter at that point. Um, and I'm, I don't hate his game or anything. I mean, he's a solid point guard, I think. And I believe he's coming off injury, so maybe he'll get better than he has been of late. But it seems kind of pointless to me. Um, plus, you're, you're, sending away a guy who's kind of universally loved by teammates and stuff, and you're bringing in a guy who might kind of spoil the locker room potentially, at least if his history is any indicator. Uh, so I don't like it for those reasons. But on the general idea of the bridge guard thing and the Chris Dunn thing is that's kind of the elephant in the room with this. Woj has been pushing this story, and, and, and I think the first time he pushed it, it probably had more credibility because I do, I do think that it was – it seems like Tom Thibodeau has been very high on Chris Dunn, and and just logically that would mean he was higher on him at the beginning of the year after he drafted him because he hadn't seen him play so poorly. But there's no way you can watch Chris Dunn right now. Anybody, reasonable, reasonable, objective, semi-intelligent basketball person watching the Timberwolves right now sees that Chris Dunn is struggling. Um, doesn't mean he'll always struggle, but he hasn't shown a, much progress, in my opinion. I mean, he's still his shooting's still bad, his, his playmaking is still pretty bad, his defense is about like it has been, which is sometimes extremely impressive in terms of making steals and jumping, passing lanes and hounding dribblers, but it also, he falls too much, um, he he does get burned on cuts sometimes, he's not, a, I would not call him a great defender yet all around, but he definitely has great qualities, but I mean... To, to me, he just he looks like he doesn't have a clue how to run an offense yet. And four point eight fouls, I mean, four point eight fouls per thirty six minutes. That's kind of a lot for a guard. Rubio gets two point eight, and Tibbs freaking hates fouling. I mean, he hates dumb fouls, which is the Chris Dunn variety. Um, so sorry, I cut off, I cut you off there. But the bridge to Dunn, the bridge to Dunn. Uh, that sounds like a novel <laughs> title or something, but that um, doesn't make any sense because Dunn hasn't shown in, shown that he's any good. Uh, we could get into the Tyus Jones thing. I probably tweet too much about that, but I think Tyus is really having a nice season in the limited action he's gotten. But and that's just going to have to be a thing that's in the background because Tibbs doesn't have him in the rotation. But we don't need to. We don't need probably need to dig into Tyus. That's kind of getting further from the main point, which is Rubio's being shopped. Um, not sure why. Not sure if it's wise. Not sure what's coming back. But that's sort of the deal. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked much about this, probably as, <clears throat> um, as much as we should, about what Rubio's actual value might be in terms of, of players and, and assets, other assets. Um, I mean, so the I mean, we we're talking about Reggie Jackson right now because it was floated in a, a rumors column, but 
I mean, I think the reason why we aren't talking about it that much is because we don't think it's very, we really don't think it is very much. And that's not to, uh, to demean or, you know, kind of belittle Rubio's value to the team. I think that's why, one of the reasons why we're both pretty strong advocates of keeping him right now. I mean, I'm trying to think of, uh, of you know, if it would be a trade for a so-called bridge point guard, who some possible candidates would be. And I just don't think that you're going to get, you know, yeah. Whoops, sorry. You kind of you're kind of you cut out for a moment there, um, but I think I I know where you're headed with that. You're basically saying I don't think there's a uh, candidate to be a quote unquote bridge guard that makes any sense. Sounds like we're in agreement. The concept of a bridge guard is pretty stupid for the current situation to begin with. And even if you were going to do the bridge guard thing, there's not really a better candidate than Rubio to be the the bridge guard. I mean, you already have Rubio. Already is a pretty good one. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I, 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 I'm not really sure what to make of all of this noise. We'll, we'll, we'll have to just wait and see until something else drops, but yeah, I mean, on the, the Tyus thing, I just wanted to say one, one thing, and that's that I think that we're going to, I mean, we'll eventually you know, sadly, I think we'll, we'll get to, you know, have some uh, some real answers, or at least better answers to this, because either Rubio or Dunn will eventually get hurt. Seems like a foregone conclusion, and we'll see him in a backup point guard role. Yeah. Or maybe those minutes would be distributed more equitably, but um, you know we don't know when that'll happen. Hopefully, it won't, and uh, and it'll play itself out appropriately but uh, but i think that you know the people who are saying well we need to you know tibbs needs to to make changes to his rotation um and you know, we might agree with that but it, you know it kind of gets gets screamed you know a lot including by us and sometimes again i think we need to, to kind of slow our roll on for sure on that because we can't do anything about it for one thing and you know, it's going to happen eventually you know, for another thing so um we'll see um tyus jones is a nice player and it looks like another one of flip saunders is um you know, criticized moves at the time that that was pretty prescient in hindsight. Yeah. Um, now I have to say a couple things about Tyus, but I'm going to make them quick. Uh, for he's got the 252 minutes. He's got offensive rating of 110.1. That's the best on the Wolves, other than John Lucas, who played 11 minutes. And he's got the uh, he's got one of the best defensive ratings, 103.2. He's got the best net rating of 6.9. 252 minutes isn't enough. I mean, it would, but it, interestingly, some of those minutes, I think probably a decent amount of them have been meaningful second half minutes because of the way he's had to come in for injury replacement. Some of the times that he's come in for done um, when he's really struggled in second half. So I, I don't think Tyus's net rating is, is, um, is misleading by virtue of the situations he's been put in. At least I think if anything, it's just a small sample size, but you can't fault the guy. I mean, he really knows how to play point guard. I mean, that's it's you take that for granted sometimes when you watch the good veterans. I mean, you watch Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul. You just the basic execution. They make things look easy that you know maybe should be easy, but they aren't easy for everyone, and they already are for Tyus at age twenty. Now, defenses could probably mess with them with different trying different things, but. You know, at the end of the day, if defenses are worried about Tyus Jones, that's about the best thing that could ever happen to the Timberwolves because that means Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine and Carl Towns are going to have openings, and that's really what we saw the other night. 
Um, and I think he's a better defender than the internet gives him credit for. He he gets buried by screens sometimes, and I get that. But he seems to kind of know how to stay in front of his man in isolation pretty well. George Hill beat him to the hole a couple times, and everybody used that as confirmation bias for their thoughts about him. But overall, I think he does a pretty good job. He's guarded, you know, uh, uh, what the hell's the Nuggets backup guard name who's been in the league forever. Um, uh, Jameer Nelson, sorry, drew a blank there. And then the other night uh, against the Clippers, he was guarding some guys that are, you know, not terrible. I don't know. Let's get – we don't need to belabor the Tyus stuff. But um, do you want to – let's talk a little bit about some league-wide issues. Um, so coming into the year, everybody was excited about the Timberwolves. They were sort of the cool hipster team. I think net, our, our, one of our favorite writers, Network, Jason Concepcion, listed the Timberwolves as the, the hipster team of this season coming into the year. Um, they haven't completely lived up to the hype. In some ways they have. We've talked already about some of the reasons why. But how do you think the young core stacks up with others around the NBA? And maybe we should just identify some of the – the qualifying groups of what we think is a young core. I would, I would probably include Milwaukee for sure, and that would be Giannis and Jabari Parker. I think that sort of one-two punch would be their young core, and then you could maybe even put their new point guard in. But I think more or less it's Giannis and and uh, Jabari, and then you'd have to say, God, the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks have one guy. I don't know. Porzingis is awesome, but I think we probably leave them out because they only have one guy right now. Philly for sure, Embiid, and then Ben Simmons is coming. We're going to have to speculate on him. Yeah. Philly I for mean, Philly. Joe, J- <laughs> probably not, yeah, but, uh, yeah. but, but, but he might be an asset at least. I mean, Nerland's Noah, Noah yeah, I think, is, again, in the same, that same yeah. category. I mean, they've got this glut of Sam Hinkie bigs still, yeah. uh, but lots of talent there. And then uh, Dario Saric, you know, is, I think, going to be a functional, nice player. I mean, he, he came into the league at least with a lot of promise and still has it. So super interesting and fun team. And then, um, how about, uh, I think even though they're good, do you have to include Utah just because of the age of some of their guys? I'm just going to quickly try to find out the age of their roster. Because I, th- I think um, uh, the Stifle Tower, Gobert, I think he's probably only like 22 or 23, isn't he? And then they also have... Um, uh, Rodney Hood. Let's see. Sorry, I'm just taking a second here. Okay, Gobert's 24. He's kind of getting close to outside of qualifying. Um, but that, they're going to be good for a long time. I mean, they've got Favors is only 25 somehow. Exum's 21. Gordon Hayward's 26. Do we call? Are they too too old for? The, maybe they're too old for the discussion. No, I, don't, I mean, I don't think so necessarily. Right. I mean, if they've got a bunch of good years ahead of them, I think that, I mean, it can be a yeah. you know, fairly relaxed definition of what a young core is. Yeah, so, I mean, I think they're interesting and they're on the rise. So we'll keep them in. I think you got to include Denver mostly because of Jokic, but perhaps we can include Moutier in the discussion. He hasn't had the best of times this year, but he's still really young and still really athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamal Murray. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, Jamal, Jamal Murray. Yeah. Yep, Jamal Murray's having having some. I think he's hitting threes, right? What is he hitting from three? I'm looking at it right now. Oh no, he's only thirty two percent. But I think he started really poor. He's in the mix. So so Denver's in there, and then I don't know. Sacramento's not really. They have Boogie, and he's kind of a veteran by now. 
LA Lakers are in there probably, kind of at least. Julius Randle. Yeah, yeah D'Angelo Russell. So that's probably – and then Phoenix. But I don't know. Is there one – do you think the Wolves – If just put it this way. If you could take the young core of any of the teams we just mentioned, which one would you take first and why? I would – I guess I would – before the season I would have taken the Wolves. Now I would probably – still take the wolves i think right now the bucks are better and a lot more fun to watch um and that is i think just part of the growing pains of what we're what we're going through i mean it's part part of the problem of having an awesome young core is that they're young yeah uh yeah whatever youth is is wasted on the the young uh stuff like that and so it's not the prettiest team that the wolves have this year i mean it's fun to watch levine dunk Wiggins has, I still think, progressed a lot and keeps getting better, even though he's maddeningly inconsistent and his peripheral stats still leave something to be desired. Cat is now um, looking like the kind of absolute monster we expected him to be before the season. And uh, with Rubio starting to look like Rubio that we wanted. Yeah. Oops, sorry, you're cutting out side. I mean the, the oh, yeah. go ahead the big the, the, just the, I mean the, the big X factor the reason why I don't really want to dismiss the the bucks fully is just how damn good Giannis has has gotten um, sort of yeah. out of nowhere I mean he, he, it probably shouldn't be as surprising to, to me as it, as it is just how um, good he's gotten this quickly um, I mean he's one of, I think one of the I don't know if I, I haven't like sat down and done a, a rank order of my you know, who I think the ten best players in the NBA, NBA are recently. That could be a future podcast, but yeah. but he's definitely up in that elite tier now in a way that I don't think he was before, and and he might have the highest upside of any of the guys uh, on any of the young cores. Yeah, I think it's between probably the Timberwolves and the Bucks. Um... And I think you start the discussion with Giannis or Cat. Which one would you rather have for the long term? Giannis is one year older. Um, I think it's fair to say Giannis is definitely better than Cat right now, particularly defensively. And his stats are just absurd. I mean, he's getting 23.5 points, uh, 8.8 rebounds, and 5.6 assists, along with two steals and two blocks. <laughs> I mean, he's getting like that's kind of Kevin Garnett. Other than the rebound, I mean, he's playing like point guard or something. So it's he's not going to rebound like Kevin Garnett, but the 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 rest of it is kind of like Kevin Garnett at his prime, isn't it? Twenty three and a half points, five and a half assists with two steals and two blocks. Yeah. And they're winning, kind of. I mean, they're not winning a ton. I think they're five hundred ish or something. Are they two two games under five hundred? But for to be a twenty two year old anchor of a team like that is pretty pretty good. And then you go. So I'd probably rather have Giannis than Cat, but not by much because Cat's got pretty gaudy stats of his own. Um, I just think that Giannis is always going to be a little bit more of a weapon defensively than Cat is. If Cat was a little taller, you know, if he was a little bit more like uh, Porzingis or Embiid, then I think his upside on defense would be a little higher. But I think Giannis is going to be kind of that crazy, crazy defensive player to go along with everything else. So I'd probably rather have Giannis, but... Then you go down to Parker, and he's having a breakout year coming off, you know, he, he was injured. 20 and a half points on pretty impressive efficiency. He's hitting 49% of his shots, 41% of threes. Six rebounds isn't great, but it's something. Three assists almost to one and a half turnovers. That's pretty good. 
So I'd, I mean, I'd probably rather have Parker than Wiggins if we were deciding today. But yeah. that's one of those that's one of those guys who gets drafted next to each other in the same year who I think you're going to see times when Wiggins is considered the better player and then times when Parker is. I think they're going to have one of those careers where they're always looked at. People always talk about it on the Internet. A little bit like this is an optimistic view of their futures. Right. But a little bit like Penny Hardaway and uh, Chris Weber, they were traded for each other, so that was a big deal. But remember how when they started off, everyone thought Penny was the better guy because he had the early success, and then Weber was floundering for a bit, and then Weber ended up having the better career. But I, I think situations change over time, and those two are just – they're probably going to have moments when – it's going to be an ongoing argument, and I think there will be times when Wiggins looks better. If the Wolves were winning, people would be more excited about Wiggins. It's pretty much that simple. People who understand, I don't want to say something mean, but people who kind of get the big picture would be friendlier to Wiggins if the Wolves were winning. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Uh, one other thing on the Bucks, uh, if we extend, if we if we really relax the definition of young uh, and core, uh, we we just don't want to leave out Mike Beasley from any podcast. Oh, yeah, like Mike Beasley. Twenty-eight years old, still has lots young, of upside. Young at heart. Young at heart. Yeah, yeah, young at heart. Uh, Playing a role off the bench, Dude, so that, that, that's, 50, that's a fun young team. He's hitting fifty-one percent of his shots, and I'm pretty sure he's still a jump shooter almost exclusively, right? Forty-eight percent from three. Why don't the Timberwolves get bees back? I mean, are you kidding me? What's his yeah, PR? It's the bees' knees. It is sixteen point nine. Yeah, he's yeah. above league average. You know, I'm I'm happy for bees because he uh, obviously was not in a good way when he was like kind of on the tail end of his Wolves career. And then he went to Phoenix where he was just horrible. And obviously things were bad. And man, he's really figured out how to be a role player in the NBA. I hope it works out long-term. I hope he can play, you know, four or five more years. That'd be cool. I think that, I think that MVP in China was huge for him. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we, we don't also want to forget Rashad Vaughn, who's uh, not playing any kind of a role right now, as far as I know, in, yeah. uh, in what the Bucks are doing, but is uh, a Minnesotan who's, yeah, yeah. Got, uh, the, the kind of game that that aesthetically I think is really cool. So um, I'll be interested to see if they can develop him. They need someone on the wing uh, to, to play that role, I think. So I hope he's developing into it. Yeah. They have Thon Maker, all caps. Yeah, there's an interesting prospect. Who barely ever plays, but yeah. uh, but it's sort of interesting and um, and – just, uh, you know, the kind of, I mean, it's, there's so many characters on that team, uh, both, you know, some of the bats, they've got Jet Terry, mm-hmm. uh, they've got, I mean, some other guys who are less colorful, um, in their personalities, but like, you know, Greg Monroe. Yeah. Greg Monroe almost got in a fight the other night. I was watching them. Um, it, go down, it, you know, to, to Yeah. No, and, they, um, they yeah, they've, they've opened, you know, your, your, your garden variety Plumley. Yeah, it's it's Steve Novak. It's a fun roster. We got to also talk about. Uh, I shouldn't have. We shouldn't have missed. Well, we talked about him quick, but Philly's in the conversation too. I think now that Embiid, now that Joel Hans Embiid is seriously starting to uh, give the process a little bit of life back. I thought it was a. I thought it was a dead idea for a while, but man, this guy's he's something else. Um, what do you think in a Phillies? I mean, we—it's hard to talk about their young core because we need to see Ben Simmons, right? I mean, Simmons and Bead theoretically might be their their core, and it might be a ridiculously good one because everything with Embiid now is health because we've seen he's got the game. He's an all-star if he if he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Ben Simmons is going to 
I think be their point guard. That's the plan. Uh, when he comes back, uh, he would. I mean, if he, if you like, if you just slotted him in a point, I think they're starting the guy you always make fun of when we play them, TJ McConnell. Yeah, I uh, major. Yeah, the, the mid-major point guard. I mean, that, the, the value of a replacement there would presumably be huge. Of course, Philly's terrible. They've been playing better lately, but uh, but so that's a that's a huge upgrade. And uh, it, I mean, the question about Simmons is is just you know how I think what the chemistry will be, how well he adjusts. I mean, I mean we really don't know how good of an NBA player he'll be. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, you know, yeah. We'll, we'll go out on the record and say that, and maybe I'll be wrong. Um, but, you know, there were questions about his kind of drive, his desire, his attitude. And, I mean, those can be red flags or they can be meaningless. So uh, I was impressed by what I saw of him at LSU. He's got the the size and tools. And with a guy like Embiid to, to you know, do two-man games with, it, I mean, that'll be a team that could be a real force. Um you know, I think Embiid is just one of the most interesting rookies I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, just amazing and so much fun to watch. I mean, I, I thought Tim Duncan, when he came into the league, was, you know, was immediately really, really good. And you could see you could see kind of where he was going in terms of how great he could, could be. And, and with Embiid, I mean, we didn't know because of the injuries. But kind of from the moment that he stepped on the court when he was finally healthy, you kind of get that same, sir. I, I get felt that same sense about watching him. That you know, you know knock on wood, that he, he you know remains healthy. He's not going to get any worse for for a long time, and he's going to get. I mean, he'll, his minutes restriction will be gone, and um, I mean, his usage rate is just ridiculously high, and he's still in the 27, 28 minutes he's allowed to play is putting up just. <laughs> unbelievable the you know, per 36 numbers and, and really good per game numbers. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, Philly is, is a really interesting team. Like if they, um, you know, are lucky enough to say win the lottery this year and add one of those, um, you know, the, the many very good prospects that, you know, that would be a, a third possible superstar if the other, you know, if, if Simmons pans out and, um, it would take some of the ball handling and point guard, you know, responsibility if they went with someone like like uh, Markel Fultz yeah. uh, or got, got got someone like him off of Ben Simmons. And I mean, that could be a really scary team. I mean, then then I might change my vote from the Wolves to the Bucks to uh, yeah. to Philly. I'd go with. I think I would be close to inclined to pick Philly over the Wolves, but for the fact of Embiid's injuries, I just. The guy's seven one or whatever, and he's had you know all those. I think he's had multiple surgeries. Obviously, they're lower leg injuries, and it's kind of a downer. It's a downer reason to bring up, but um, it's always going to be in the. It's always going to be a thing that gets worried about. Hopefully, he puts together you know three four seasons in a row of playing seventy plus games, and then we'll sort of reevaluate. But I'm still a little bit on on, on a probationary uh, trusting process because I. <laughs> I, I just, you know, we saw it with Greg Oden. Greg Oden had a little period of time where he was really looking good, and then he fell apart again. So hopefully that doesn't happen with Embiid. But I, I would take the Timberwolves right now just for this. I would take the Timberwolves over um, Philly, but I think I would probably take Milwaukee's situation. I don't know. It's a tough call. I really like the situation the Wolves are in because they're also going to probably get another pretty good draft pick, which is yeah. kind of crazy to, to think about. I, I mean, I think they whiffed on Chris Dunn. I'm I'm pretty close to writing him off until he does something to prove me otherwise. But even with that, I, 
having Levine, Wiggins, and Towns with a probably another mid-lottery pick on the way and a really good draft is kind of an insane place to be. And they're, not to get dorky about this, but the Wolves – Tibbs talks about what uh, is it narrowing the gap or something about like closing the gap, closing the gap, their, their plus minus is minus 1.3. And that's a pretty reliable measure of how you're playing throughout yeah. a long period of time. I mean, they're pretty close. They, they really are. And if they added a veteran here or there and, you know, continue to get better, they're going to be yeah. just fine. So it's, they, they're in a great place too. I just think Giannis might be, you know, Giannis might, might be like some sort of weird, combination of like LeBron and Westbrook or something that we haven't seen before little Scotty Pippen mixed in I mean he might just be like a two three time MVP starting in a year or two so once you if you get a guy like that that's step one and two and three to getting a championship contender so uh, I'm not not sure if Towns will ever get to that level Towns looked amazing the other night and he's having a great year but he might cap out at something, you know, this is hardly a faint praise, but he might cap out at something like closer to like Dirk, which is ridiculously awesome foundational best player on a champion, but not like LeBron. If that yep. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I could see that. I mean, I think it's his ceiling is a little bit lower and just, I think that that is what it is. I mean, he was so skilled when he came into the league already. I mean, yeah. he, he's, you know, he's, now is demonstrating that he got, I think has gotten better since, since last year. I mean, there was some criticism, uh, the I mean, people like Britt Robson on his podcasts, you know, has given it, but mostly been the way that, you know, that towns talked about what he tried to do in the off season to improve. And, and, you know, Britt criticized him for, you know, for saying that, Oh, well, um, when asked what he worked on, he said, I worked on everything and, uh, it didn't really, you know, gave a non-answer to a question we you know, haven't seen or at that point, hadn't seen really anything, um, improve necessarily, at least, um, visibly like we've seen during some other like breakthrough off seasons for other guys, like when Kevin Love would come back, you know, with either, you know, improved body, you know, improved three point shot and those kinds of things that are, are, you know, immediately visible. Um, and so, you know, I think that the towns, you know, is, is, has less to work on on the offensive end. I mean, you could work on things endlessly and do, do lots of new stuff. And we've seen him experimenting with some things. His defense, I I think needs, you know, a lot of work and we don't don't want to go too far into the weeds here, but I mean, I, I think that that will be interesting to see how, um, how it progresses under Thibodeau. Um, I think that, yeah. you know, I think that leads into the, the next thing that I wanted to, to briefly touch on, which I think that, you know, these discussions about young cores and who's got the best or most interesting ones, who, you know, who the hipster teams are and stuff happen quite a bit, but there's less talk about the, you know, the, the, the guy at the top who's in charge of it all. Um, so we have Thibodeau now, and we talked earlier about how, you know, important. We thought that would be right off the bat, um, right? And so, the, of the other two teams we were just discussing, right? Jason Kidd has is coaching the Bucks. Um, Brett Brown is coaching the Sixers. And uh, do you have opinions on um, you know either you know just quality of of you know the the coach or just um, kind of the fit of the the coach and his personality and style and system to the the personnel that you know the, the talented young personnel that that they have to work with Jason Kidd versus Tibbs. You mean? Yeah. Jason Kidd versus Brett Brown versus Tibbs. Oh, and Brett Brown. Yeah. Um, I think those are 
interesting comparisons. Uh, I I really want to like Brett Brown because he seems like such a cool guy. You know, he's on Zach Lowe's podcast periodically, and you can listen to him talk about a number of subjects. He just seems like a really good dude and a guy who would be really fun to play for. He's really positive in his message, um, and I think he really understands the modern game because he comes from San Antonio. Uh, He's also been really much trying to teach the way he wants the game played versus accommodating his personnel. He's fine with cranking up corner threes, even if you're a garbage (laughs) shooter, that type of thing. Um, and Tibbs is a more proven winner from his Chicago days. Jason Kidd is a little bit I, – I really like what Jason Kidd has done at times in Milwaukee. It seems like there was a little up and down. They had that really good defensive season when he went there with Sean Sweeney, all caps, from from the Twin Cities as kind of his defensive guru assistant. Maybe he'll be a head coach in 10, 10 years or something. I think he's he's probably like in his low 30s right now. But, but uh, I don't – I mean, it's – it's hard to say because Tibbs has this horrible way about him during games. It's kind of funny and it's really funny, but it wouldn't be that fun to be a player on that team when you're getting yelled at all the time, but he gets results and he demands accountability. So there's, there's that. I don't know. I'm kind of dodging the question. I guess if I was going to get one of those coaches for my team, I would pick Tibbs because he has the proven winner. But I think there's interesting arguments to be made for the other two. And I just want to get in before we, fully move on from the discussion of the young cores uh Embiid's Twitter account deserves mention as a reason to pick the Philly young core because for, sure. for a few years now he's he's not like basketball player or celebrity funny he's like comedian funny I mean like Kobe Bryant makes a joke and everyone sort of like smiles and laughs with him and it's not funny at all but like Embiid's <laughs> freaking hilarious he's got this dry persona that he puts forth there he's just like oh my god he's got one of the funniest twitter accounts i've seen and that and that's not athlete specific but anyway yeah no it's yeah it's amazing it's a it's it's a great twitter account uh what is what's the the at for listeners if they aren't already following if it was somehow listening to this and not already following him i don't know uh how big that venn diagram could possibly be but yeah should probably give it a shout out He's he's just at Joel Embiid J O E L E M B I I D. So that's follow that man. That's him. You'll see. Trust the process. Jokes. You'll see Rihanna flirtations. You'll see. Uh, you'll see him trash talk opposing players. He used to do videos once in a while. I think that was when he was injured and he had nothing better to do in his in his apartment or something. But. Yeah, he's a, he's a hilarious guy. So that's a rare combination of being awesome at your sport and comedian level funny. Yeah, he he really dogged Chandler Parsons one time. I think that's when he, he that's what's when he first got my attention. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I was searching at I was searching our old tweets for shout outs to Embiid's Twitter account, and I saw a couple seasons ago I I asked if Embiid's Twitter account gets a credential for press row at target center i was hoping it, it deserved one but i don't think it did i think he probably just stayed home but uh, it, it could get uh, mvp votes though it yeah. probably won't be yeah, but maybe third team in all nba yeah so what do you think uh, the, what do you think of kid brett brown tibbs i i mean i guess i'm mostly in agreement with your non-answer to give a, a second non-answer I, I i think tibbs is probably the surest bet uh even though I, yeah you can't say he's a sure thing he hasn't coached a young team like this i mean not many people have right. um whether or not it's the right fit is a bigger question mark than it 
I mean, whether or not he has the credentials or, uh, you know, knowledge, expertise, skill, um, and you know, acumen to do it. And I like to, I'm a huge Jason Kidd fan. I mean, I was when he was a player. I think he seems like a, <laughs> a much cooler coach than, than Tibbs and that, uh, doesn't come for, for nothing in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he basically got himself run out of, um, out of New Jersey in a power struggle or trying he, to get, get Billy King fired. Didn't he out of Brooklyn, uh, steal someone's job in Milwaukee? I think he, I think it was like a power grab in Milwaukee. I don't, I don't think Brooklyn wanted him out. I, I could be wrong on that, but it was, yeah, it well, was a, it was a manipulative sort of <laughs> scheming move. It was kind of mafioso. I mean, it was, it was something, but you don't necessarily have, sometimes you want that guy on your side in your corner. Yeah. And I mean, Sorry, you're cutting out for a second here. Had a little bit of tech issues today. Oh, there you go. But still, uh, each guy got drama. Yeah, sorry, we kind of missed. Oh, yeah, we had a little audio yeah. problem, problem there. Uh, yeah, so, so each guy is uh, is not going to be drama-free. Um, I'd, yeah, probably, you know, if I had to choose uh, for us, I'd, I'd probably go Tibbs, Kid, Brown. Uh, but I still like Brett Brown a lot. I think he's a good coach, and I think that team is going to really, really blossom quickly. Yeah. Um, let's just briefly talk all-star cause it's the subject of the, the week. Um, the, I guess the big argument, I don't even know if it's an argument. There's a consensus. I think that Russell Westbrook should have been a starter. It was this new combination formula for starting lineups, which involved the fan vote, player vote and uh, media vote, I believe for, uh, for the starting lineup. And, the fans, I think, overwhelmingly voted in Steph Curry to start, and I think both players and um, players and media voted in Westbrook to start, and everybody had Harden in because Harden Harden has the magical combination of historically great stats and a winning team. I mean, the Rockets are near the top of the West, but the Thunder are, you know. They're not nearly as good. They are da, 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 da. They're the seven seed right now. They're 25 and 19, but Westbrook is averaging like a 30-point triple-double, which is absurd. Should Westbrook have gotten in over Steph Curry, in your opinion? I would say yes. Um, I think I just think he's having the better season. I mean, Steph Curry's uh, – I guess, I mean, I, we could just link to the, the what Bill Simmons wrote about this. I agreed with what he said. Um, did you read that? Um, column that he wrote on his all-star votes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, essentially the, the argument was that uh, Steph Curry isn't having as good a season as he did last year. He's still having a really good season. He's the second best player on that team. He, he's the second banana after one of the best players in the NBA, Kevin Durant. But um, on the, you know, at the same time, Westbrook is having just such an unbelievably dominant season in Oklahoma city that I don't know how it can be overlooked. Um, and so, to me, it would be a pretty easy choice. But you know, the, I think the electoral system uh, again, like, you know, like in the the presidential election, uh, you know, gets distorted in, in in some ways, and you know, the outcome is what it what it, you know, what it was, and, and we have the other guy starting. So I view it a little differently. Um, I'm not passionate. I, I don't have a real conviction about this, but I'm fine. I'm more than fine with Curry starting. For um, I would say two reasons. One is that I just think Curry's a better basketball player than Russell Westbrook. Um, and I think that the two, two MVPs that he's got and counting need to have some consideration here because of the situation where Durant joined and he had to 
sort of, you know, uh, stop shoot, you know, not shoot as much basically. But so I think he's a better player. And I think the winning is a big deal because 37 and six, and that's kind of insane. So the, the, the Warriors deserve to have a couple of starters. They're a star studded team. Clay's not starting. Draymond's not starting, but I think having Curry and Durant in there is fine. Westbrook is having one of these amazing one guy go at it alone seasons, which are really awesome to watch. I was such a big fan of Kobe Bryant back in the early two thousands. And I was so excited <laughs> when Shaq finally left because we were just going to get to see him go just bananas. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't going to be contending basketball, but he averaged 35 a game one year. He was putting up, he had streaks of hitting 40 points for five, six, seven games. And he's not, he wasn't the assist guy that Westbrook is, but it was the same kind of effect where you just, you want to tune in to just see what the hell Kobe might do one night. And that's, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, all-star, I get that entertainment's a part of it, and Westbrook would be really entertaining, especially Westbrook having to play next to Kevin Durant would be awesome. And it, it'll happen anyway at some point, but Curry's averaging, you know, he's a two-time reigning MVP. He's averaging tw almost 25 points a game. He's cranking up nine and a half threes a game and hitting them at 40%. That's kind of crazy in and of itself. Has anyone ever shot nine and a half threes per game before? I'm guessing not, but, um, you know, six assists, 36, 37 and six team. I'm fine with that. I, I think Westbrook – it's if it's it's hard to say Westbrook isn't a starter. It's more that Curry is a starter, in my opinion. The two-time MVP being on a 37-6 and six team and putting up numbers, to me, that's that's fine. So, uh, just – I mean, so I guess the one little quibble I have with that is uh, if, you know, hypothetically you put – you swap Westbrook for, for Curry on the Warriors, are they worse than 37-6 and six right now? Yeah. You got West, Westbrook, Durant, oh. Draymond, Clay Thompson. That's a hard thing to. The Warriors are so loaded. I mean, it is hard to say. I. I think they would definitely be worse. I think Curry is a pretty amazing winning player, and I think Westbrook loses you a few games here and there. I don't think you can be thirty-seven and six with Westbrook doing his thing like that. Plus, if Westbrook's doing that, Clay and Durant are not going to be getting the kind of quality shots they get in that ball movement offense. I don't think, I don't know. I, Westbrook's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Westbrook's amazing. And I love the thunder more than any other playoff team in recent years. I, I'm just still a little bitter that it's over for them because I loved watching them in the playoffs, but I don't think Westbrook would incorporate um, the clay and Durant and Draymond guys quite as seamlessly as Curry has Curry and Durant don't even have the best chemistry yet. And they're 37 and six and they're both averaging yeah. over 25 a game or, you know, 24 to 27 a game. So I don't think they'd be quite that good. Obviously they'd be amazing. They already are amazing, but I, I don't know. It's a hard comparison. It's not even that now that I'm talking myself through it, I'm starting to think Westbrook was deserving, but, but I do think there's a good argument for, for Curry. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's going to be interesting regardless. But yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I guess agree to disagree. Um, uh, the let's rest... just close up, close out here. I was sorry. Did you want to go ahead with other All Star stuff? Yeah, that's not too much to say. Durant and Kawhi obviously were deserving. I mean, I don't know. It's not. I, I haven't followed the the kind of Eastern Conference as close this year, so I've heard a lot. I've listened to podcasts. People arguing the merits of Isaiah Thomas versus Demar Derozan versus. You know, Kyle. It seems like most people agree Kyle Lowry. Bill Simmons, I don't think, had Kyle Lowry in, but I think a lot of people I've heard think Kyle Lowry is the obvious guy for the Eastern guards. Um, 
and then it comes down to like Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas is having an interesting year because that's such a ridiculous points per game he's got. It's like over 28. Yeah. But I don't know. There's some more advanced stats that aren't quite as kind to him as some of the other guys. But I, I don't know. It's I, I think the the main conversation to be had was Westbrook versus Curry. Yeah, I'm more excited about Saturday uh, events than I am Sunday. Agreed. Uh, specifically, uh, what Zach Levine does in the slam dunk contest, and uh, yeah. and if he can win both the slam dunk and three point shootout. How many wins would you sacrifice <laughs> off the Timberwolves season this year? to be this is this is vague but to be just like blown away by Levine for the third straight year I'd probably I'll start I'd I'd take two wins off the record for that yeah I I was gonna say three but depending on how how big of a a mind blower it would be I might go to five damn that's a big drop you're you're I'm I'm assuming that we're not I'm assuming we're not making the playoffs now already, so I'm yeah. thinking why not tank a little bit and enjoy it while you know, while it's happening. Yeah. All right. Last stuff. We were just going to touch a little bit on the draft. It's a Timberwolves. We're hitting. We just hit an hour mark here, so we were going to try to keep this to an hour. But let's just quick run through the main. First of all, the Timberwolves right now. I uh, just had this up. I think they have the sixth worst record in the league, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pulling that up right now. Yeah, I think that's that looks right. It goes Brooklyn, Miami, two, Phoenix, three, Dallas, four, LA Lakers, five, Timberwolves, six. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to trend upward or downward. I, and, you know, it probably some of that depends on the Rubio situation. If they trade Rubio, they'll probably get worse. But they're probably going to draft somewhere between – one and shit. I don't know. I don't know. They're probably going to well, be in the lottery. One, 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 one in 14. Yeah. Yeah. They probably won't be one. I mean, there's going to be some other teams in there, but they'll, they'll probably be in the middle of the lottery. You've talked to me about, we've emailed a lot about it. You, you kind of like the early look of Dennis Smith, but is that just Dennis Smith or is that, I want Dennis Smith on the Timberwolves. Is it both? It's definitely, I just like Dennis Smith. Yeah. Uh, for sure. He's it's extremely explosive and athletic and uh, and just fun to watch. So um, I mean, it's like the same way that I uh, now uh, will am not ashamed to admit really liked Emmanuel Moutier a few years ago, uh, just because those guys are fun to watch when, especially when they're playing against non NBA level competition. I mean, it's not like NC State is is playing chopped liver, but um, Dennis Smith uh, is is. You know, just pretty unbelievable to watch from an athletic or athleticism perspective. I really like Lonzo Ball a lot too at UCLA. I mean, they're yeah. that team is really good. He's putting up gaudy assist numbers. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, which one of these guys would I want on the Wolves? If any of them? I mean, um, I. Sorry, our uh, our Skype connection has not been consistent, but it usually comes back. Oh, there he is. Be, be in position number four. You just got cut out again. Sorry. Oh yeah. Just for a moment. So whatever you just yeah. Said. Yeah. So um, I was. I mean, I was saying like, yeah, Smith is fun. Um, overall, I don't know if I really want a point guard. I mean, I'd rather stand pat with Rubio. And if we're down in say the, you know, let's say like the eight to twelve range uh, to find the the very best, uh, either like just uh, badass rim protector. Uh, that we could, or uh, a guy who could slide in and play the, either this you know, stretch for kind of bruising for a, a, a you know, 
someone who can play the four and um, move Gorgie to the you know the six man role. Yeah, I agree. I I mean I agree with what you just said there at the end. I unless they have a chance to draft one of these really special guys like Fultz or Lonzo Ball or or Dennis Smith, who seem to potentially be NBA superstars based on their sort of size and skills for the for guard position. I think getting a guy who just doesn't need shots, who can make shots but doesn't need shots on offense, and then just in a general way help patch things up defensively, you know, switch being a switch-friendly player, someone who can tip a couple passes away, make it difficult to enter the post, um, roam a little bit, protect the rim. And I see that with the guy who's playing on TV here as I'm doing this podcast in the in my living room is – Jonathan Isaac from Florida State. He's got kind of one of those developing, bouncy physiques. I mean, he's, I think he might be 6'9 or at least. He looks taller than that. And he can shoot. Listed at 6'10. Listed at 6'10. And he just looks like a guy who's going to be a, a, like, you you won't really care about him in the NBA because he's not going to do that much offensively, I don't think, other than spot up probably. But he's going to be one of those guys who shows up in the plus-minus stats because just having him on the floor makes life easier for everybody else. And, I mean, I'm really projecting on a guy I've only seen a couple times. But the experts seem to rate him pretty well. I think um, some of the stuff I've read on the ringer has been really high on him as a prospect. And I just like his shooting motion and his athleticism. And he seen, he had seven blocks the other night when I watched him, so that was nice. So I, I like him as a prospect for the Wolves to keep an eye on. But he doesn't have that superstar potential, I don't think. So if the Wolves do get lucky in the draft, Lonzo Ball or Fultz or something. Fultz is – if you ever get a chance to watch Washington, they suck. So they aren't on, on Saturday afternoons like some of these other teams. But – Fultz just looks like a stud. I mean, that guy, his handles and his jump shot, I mean, it all looks just perfect. He's going to be a beast. He might be awesome right away even. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fun to, to follow and, and to follow a lot of these guys because um, it'll probably be one of those drafts. Uh, like, what was the um, with the um, 2003 draft or whatever where um, – which one am I thinking? Thank you. Um, are you thinking of the LeBron one? Sorry, I'm – there was constant you know, second guessing for years about what the order should have been. Were you talking about the LeBron draft? Sorry, you cut out for a second. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I LeBron was. Uh, yeah, LeBron was one, and then you had like Darko, and then Melo, and Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. I. Yeah. No, it'd be cool to have another one of those. I think uh, 2008 was pretty strong, right? That was Derrick Rose and uh, Beasley was uh, the Darko of that draft, unfortunately. But then you had. He was. Yeah, he was. And OJ Mayo obviously didn't turn out to be too great. He was a decent role player at times, but you had... Don't, uh, don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, you had Kevin Love and um, Russell Westbrook and a lot of guys deeper in that draft, too. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, Saturday afternoons and evenings, there's usually, like, most of these guys on TV. It's kind of fun to just keep an eye on, watch half of a game or something, because um, Kentucky's got guys, too, and Duke's got guys, too, but the Timberwolves are going to have another pretty good draft pick, I think, so... Always something on the Timberwolves fans' brain. But um, anyway, I think that was all the topics we were going to hit. The Wolves play again tomorrow against Denver, I believe, right? At home, I think. I should know that information, but I, I think they're. I think yeah. that is correct. Um, so that'll be – it's always interesting to play Denver. I, I think that's – we they were one of the uh, quote-unquote young core teams that we were – we briefly alluded to, and it's fun when the Timberwolves match up with those teams just to see the 
a, see a fair fight, so to speak. Um, yeah. And then we've got Tuesday at Phoenix, which uh, we mentioned once in a, a very passing breath as a possible young core team. They've got interesting young players. Obviously, it hasn't come together yet. Yeah. But uh, that's an, that's another. I mean, it's going to be obviously a winnable game. Phoenix isn't very good. Denver's a winnable game. Uh, it'd be nice to see the Wolves put together uh, a little, you know, a little run here. Yeah. Build on what happened in LA the other night. Uh, they've got the Pacers after that, Brooklyn after that, Orlando after that. So, and then Cleveland uh, at Cleveland. So, a bunch of games here that that we could win in uh, you know, through January or the rest of January. Yeah. Which which I think would be something that might bring some relief to the disappointment that, that Wolves fans have felt for most of the season. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, winning cures everything, so to speak. And I, we talked about it earlier, but I really think it would put a, it would just get a more positive light shining on the things that like Wiggins is doing in particular, if it was in a winning context, because volume score on a losing team is a much maligned um, NBA character to take on. So, Anyway, I think we covered some good territory there. We'll probably, I mean, we always say we're going to do these more often. Hopefully we'll do them more often. I mean, this won't be the last one, but we're on iTunes, I believe, right? Yeah, it's on. it'll be on iTunes. We're going to post this um, like we always used to on our old website, punchdrunkwolves.com. Yeah. And uh, we're writing now uh, Wolf Among Wolves, not um, not writing at all since we, we moved over to Wolf Among Wolves at uh, Punch Drunk Wolves. But we'll host our podcast there, I think, and probably occasionally scribble um, stuff at, at Punch Drunk Wolves. So um, check it out occasionally and uh, subscribe to the, the iTunes feed if you want the, the podcast delivered right to you. Perfect. All righty. Sounds good. And uh, go Timberwolves. Go Wolves. All right.